Hey King's Arms, it's great to be speaking to you online today and um, I hope this finds you well. Uh, and apologies, I my um, talks have got a bit messed up so that I'm not in sync with what's happening on a Sunday. Um, the online ones I'm doing are a little bit behind, so many apologies for that. But there's been numbers of people who've asked me, um, I did this talk live a few weeks ago, and they've asked me, hey, we really want to listen to it back again, or we missed it because we were watching online. So uh, my bad, apologies for getting a little bit out of order. But anyway, this is the talk that I gave, which was called Hope in a Time of War. You know, in the midst of all that we see going on at the moment, the incredible turmoil we saw we see also incredible courage, you know, watching the Ukrainian president um, uh, when the Americans offered him a way out, saying, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. It's just so profound, so uh, moving to, to see that. Um, in this in this incredible scenes that we're seeing, we're seeing this amazing courage, but just real terror. Um, many of us have just been grabbed by terror, and particularly the younger generation coming through. You know, there was a, a survey last year, actually, before the war, that said, 54% of millennials fear that there will be World War III in their generation, which is a horrendous thing to be living under. Um, for you guys who are, who are uh, that age and, and younger, this is a, you've been brought up in traumatic times, unprecedented times, where things that we never thought that we would see, we are seeing. And so um, I wanted to speak into that and to give us uh, some encouragement from the Word of God. And yeah, as I called this message, hope in the time of war. Um, there's a, a famous saying that says, I, can't even, I don't even know who said it, but it says this, the one who carries the most hope carries the most influence. And you know, I just believe that as the people of God, we are called to carry uh, influence right now, that the world needs the church to stand up um, in a greater way than it's ever done. It's always needed that, but in a greater way than it's ever done. It needs the world to stand up because there is such hopelessness around. And, and, and I believe God's calling us to be hope carriers. So if you're weary of bad news, if you're just kind of drowning in the bad news, then the scripture we're going to look at today is definitely for you. If you're fearful of war, this scripture is for you. If you want to be part of the solution instead of part of the problem, this scripture is for you. If you want to come with a different perspective, if you want to carry hope when others seem to be losing hope, this scripture is for you. So let's read it together, shall we, and see if we can find hope in a time of war. And I'm just going to put it up big screen so that you can see it. And we're going to read it twice, as is my um, uh, style now. Um, so this is from the, uh, the New Living Translation, which is a great translation if you're just starting out reading the Bible or if you just want an easy to read translation, uh, this is a fantastic translation. So this is a vision that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And just to set the scene, this was in a traumatic, uh, very traumatic, t I'll go back small screen. This is an incredibly uh, traumatic time for the people of Israel. There was warfare all around. There were invading nations. It was just incredibly pressurized and hopeless, just as hopeless, if not more hopeless than some of the things that we are facing today. So this is what uh, it says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us, let us, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Okay, so that was one translation. Um, let's read it again, Isaiah 2, 1 to 5 in the English Standard Version. 
Um, it says this, The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. Amazing, amazing, powerful scripture. So how do we get hope in a time of war? What does the Isaiah uh, tell us? And when we met live, um, we actually got into groups and looked at it um, in our groups, but I'm just going to, uh, as it's online, it doesn't work in the same way. Um, so I'm just going to talk you through some of the things that I saw, but I'd encourage you to get that passage and look at it yourself because it's so, so rich and more than I could possibly bring to the table in just these few minutes. But firstly, get God's vision from the end. That's the first way we get hope in a time of war. Get God's vision of the, of the it says in verse 2 it shall come to pass in the latter days there's going to come a day and scripture doesn't say when that day is but it's going to be a come a day and it's called the latter days which in the bible represents the end of days the end of the world and Isaiah's saying I'm seeing that day I'm seeing the destination of the world and this is how it ends this is how it will end and we don't know everything that's going to happen in the meantime but what God says to you is I'm showing you the end it shall come to pass you know I haven't got my magic uh, um, uh, seeing into the future uh, uh, glasses yet. I'm, I've got them on order. But, um, and so if I say to something, you know, something shall happen, it shall come to pass, you all might think to yourself, well, it might or it might not. It might be right, it might not. Um, but when God says it shall come to pass, it shall happen, you can guarantee that it's going to happen. And so when unexpected things happen to us, either on a personal uh, micro level or on a global macro level, when shocking things happen, yes, initially we're going to be shocked. We're going to be surprised like everybody else that's a natural response but as followers of Jesus we can very quickly grab our bearings because we know the end we know that this fits into a bigger story and I've re-watched a lot of movies with my kids as they've grown up you know some of the classic movies Shawshank Redemption Braveheart Aliens you know life-changing movies all the greats and, and it's fascinating watching them because I see their reaction of surprise and shock, the reaction that I had the first time that I watched those movies. And sometimes I still jump at bits because I've forgotten that bit was there and still a bit jumpy, but it is totally different to me because I've seen it before. I know the end. And that's how we need to posture ourselves as followers of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever watched a trailer for a movie and by the time you finished it, you're like, oh, I don't even need to see the movie now. I've seen the whole thing. That's what God's doing for us here. He's giving us a bad trailer because he's showing us this is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to pan out. He's showing us from the beginning, from the end. And so the first way we get hope in a time of war is we get God's vision of the end. We, we fill our minds with his vision from the end. And of course, linked to that is we know who comes out on top. It says in uh, verse two, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest mountain and shall be lifted above the hills. 
And, and it says um, uh, the, 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 in the scriptures that a temple is a, a primary place of worship, but also a mountain. A mountain was a place where you went to meet with God. It's a place where you meant to encounter God. But notice it doesn't just say the temple or the, ha- or the mountain of the Lord will be highest above all the other mountains or all the other hills. It says the mountain of the house of the Lord. So it's not just a place where you worship God because a house is not a place where you just worship, is it? A house is a place where you commune, where you eat together, where you fellowship together. And so what it's saying is that in the end days, the mountain of the house of the Lord, the place where mankind meets with God will be above every other place. It will be in prime focus. God will come out on top. Jesus will be king. Every knee will bow before him and every person will be able to come and meet with God. So much of war is based on human pride, people wanting their agenda, their nation to be highest or their individual agenda to be supreme. And yet one day every other agenda will be lowered. Every other name, every other nation will be lower than God's name and his presence. So we don't have to fear when evil men seem to gain supremacy because we know it is just for a season. Their day will pass. Every ruler will one day bow the knee to God in Christ. That's an amazing, reassuring promise for us that we can see from this passage. You know, Jordan Peterson is not known as a Christian. Um, uh, I think he's a God-fearer, but he's not known as a Christian. And he had a fascinating dream once, which he talks about in one of his lectures. Let me just pull it up and read it to you. I had a dream once. I was in the cemetery of an old church. An old cathedral surrounded by the graves, by graves. And all of a sudden, the graves started to open. It was a graveyard where great men of the past had been buried. A grave opened and an armed king stood up and another grave opened and another armed king stood up. These were very formidable figures. They were the great heroes of the past. And after a number of them appeared on the scene, they looked around and saw each other and being warrior types, they immediately began to fight. The question is, what stops the great kings of the past from fighting? I had a revelation. It was part of the dream. They all bowed down to the figure of Christ. And then I woke up and I thought, what earth and the world does that dream mean? And it was funny because uh, in the video when he tells it, everyone laughs because everyone knows what it means. Jordan's not quite there yet, but everyone else knows what it means. He said, and I realized if you had 20 kings and you took the thing that was most kinglike about them and you combined it into a single figure, then you get the single figure of a trans- then you get a single figure of transcendent heroism and transcendent good, and that figure is the figure of Christ. I'm not sure Jordan is a follower of Jesus, but he gets it. The mountain of the house of the Lord will make every other mountain blow. Everything else will seem like a hill in comparison. So the first way we get hope in a time of war is to get a vision of the end. But of course, the second way that's linked to it is we know who comes out on top. We know who wins in this story. And the third thing is linked to that because it's it's the revelation that every nation will come. Every nation will come. It says in verse 2, the nation shall flow to this mountain. It's not just going to impact the kings, but every nation will flow to the house of God. People from every tribe and tongue and nation will come to God's house and to his presence. The nation that's most close to the gospel, they will come. I remember um, standing on a hill in Exeter where I was at university 25 years ago. Uh, and it was the night of power, the night that the Muslims considered to be the most holy, special, supernatural night where Muhammad is said to have got his revelation. Um, and so on that night they pray often through the night and some friends and I decided we were going to pray through the night for the Muslim world and to be honest there was not much happening for the gospel in the Muslim world in those those days not many people were giving their lives to Christ and so we spent the night and, and many other times crying out to God for him to move in the Muslim world 
And the phenomenal thing is now, 25 years later, I'm meeting and talking with people who were saved in the revival that's hitting the Muslim world. Who uh, I met with a guy who's planted thousands of churches in Iran. I've met with people who are uh, planting churches right the way across the Middle East as they're seeing God move and bring their Muslim friends and neighbors to Christ, often through dreams, miraculous intervention, other stuff that you just couldn't predict. God is on the move in the Muslim world in a way that he was not tw even 25 years ago. I've seen it in my lifetime. Every nation, even those the hardest to the gospel, if you've got a nation on your heart that's hard to the gospel, I would say pray because you never know what's going to happen. Even in a lifetime, you can see things turn around. And the good news is that one day every tribe and every nation will have a representative, will have a people that come before the throne of God. Every nation will come to God's house. You know, Anatoly Rachinets, who's um, the director, uh, deputy director general of the Ukrainian Bible Society, is based in in capital Kiev, and he says more and more people are turning Christianity to find light in the darkness since the Russian invasion began than before it. And so, him, he and his team helped to distribute food and medical supplies and Bibles to local people. And he said many people actually asked them for the Bibles, even if they hadn't previously had faith. And a few weeks ago, he wrote this. Yesterday, we were outside here in a park to deliver bread to elderly people. They were coming together and waiting for us so they could have fresh bread. There were about 80 or 90 people there, and they had just come uh, to the car and asked for Bibles. One man stood there with bread in one hand and a Bible in another, and he said, I think the Bible is more important than daily bread right now. Certainly for me personally, I've never prayed before. I've never been to church, but it is more important. He was about 70 years old. He'd never read a Bible, but he said he knew now was the time to come to God. We meet so many people like that. Over the last two weeks here in Kiev, we have seen people who had never had a Bible before, never prayed before, but are now asking for us to pray for them on the streets, in homes, everywhere. People are searching for their faith because they, they know a miracle has to happen to resolve this situation. We don't see any diplomatic or other solution. We just know and understand deep inside only God can make some changes and stop this horrible war. So the third way is to realise that every nation will come to the house of God. And even in the midst of the most traumatic times for nations, it's very often at that point that many of them come to God and they come to this mountain to commune with God, even in the midst of warfare. The fourth way that we get hope in times of war is recognising that God puts his blessing on those who are desperate for him. God puts his blessing on those who are desperate for him. And there is nothing like war to create a sense of de desperation. You can feel it around the world. There's nothing like war to create that. And God puts his blessing on people who are desperate for him. This is where it says, Come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and we may, may walk in his paths. Let's go to the house of the God of Jacob. Why is that important? Well, not once in the Bible do you find the expression the God of Daniel, the God of Moses, even the God of Elijah, or once I think you find that expression. Um, those, those expressions, these are, these are incredible men of God, and yet not once do you find that expression, or only once or, or twice do you find that expression. And yet what you see in the scripture 22 times, God is called the God of Jacob. The God of Jacob. Why is that significant? Well, because Jacob was a nightmare. <laughs> he was one of the earliest followers of, of uh, God. He was the grandson of Abraham, but he was a mess. He was a liar. He was a trickster. He stole his brother's inheritance. And when you think about the phrase, the God of Jacob, you're talking about less, someone who was far less than a role model, not someone that you would hold up as an example for children to follow. But there was a point when Jacob was fearing for his life. He thought the brother that he tripped out of his inheritance was going to kill him. And he was absolutely desperate. And so he turned to God and that night he wrestled with God. In fact, it says he wrestled with God and he said he wouldn't let God go until he blessed him. 
I won't let you go, he says. He was wrestling with the angel of the Lord. He says, I won't let you go until you bless me. He was a man who was lost without God. He was hopeless without God. And God met him on that night and changed his story. And so I'm glad that God chose to be identified as the God of Jacob because it gives me hope. Because if God could change Jacob's life in a moment of desperation, he can change yours and he can change mine. It shows us that God is not looking for people who have it all together, but for those who are desperate in their need for him. And it's in times like this that we can have hope because we know that God's close. We know that he is near because he is near to those who are desperate. Some of you even watching this tonight, even watching this today or this evening, whenever you're watching it, you're desperate. You are desperate and you're in that desperate place. I would urge you cry out to God. You will find him as I have done and many others have done in our moments of desperation. It's when he draws so close. The fifth thing is this, to believe that one day people from every nation will want to hear and obey God. It says the nations say, let's go up to the house of God that he may teach us his ways and we may walk in his path. People are worried, you know, in these days, is this the end of the world? Is this God's judgment? We just simply don't know. Jesus said there will be wars, there'll be rumours of wars in the latter days. Basically, what we're seeing is the natural result of human rebellion against God. It's the natural result. What we see in the world today, it's the natural result. This is not how God created the world. That's the biblical story. God created the world perfect. He said it was good, but we sinned, we rebelled against God, and we created this mess. But Jesus says, don't be alarmed when you see these things. Why? It's because of this. It's because one day all the nations will say, we want God to teach us his ways. We want to walk in his paths. One day mankind will stop rebelling against God, stop demanding that God does it our way. One day we'll realize the mess that we have made, corporately have made of the planet, and we'll hold our hands open to God and say, God, we want it your way. Isaiah saw it and Jesus prophesied it. One day it will come. Nations will come to an end of themselves, not just individuals, as many individuals have already, as I have, as many of you watching this have, but not just individuals, whole nations. In fact, the entire globe will come to its own senses. It seems impossible, it seems far-fetched, but Isaiah saw it. He prophesied that it would come. I'm running four courses on disciple-making training this term. I've got people from South Africa, Guam, Iranians, Iraqis, Azerbaijanis, even people from Basingstoke. You know, they're all coming because they've understood this, that it's when disciples really understand God's word and really put it into practice and really learn to share it with others that they hear and obey Jesus, then their lives are transformed and they can go on to transform others. They can go to multiply into other people's lives. And so if you don't know how to disciple others, then I'd urge you to sign up for the course. I'll run another one next time, I'm sure, more than one probably. Sign up and join us on that course because it's absolutely critical that we understand the power of God's ways and his uh, uh, life reflected through our life as we follow and obey his ways. So the, the last thing that gives us confidence in a time of war is this, to have confidence that one day people will voluntarily put down their weapons and make peace. It says they will beat their swords into plowshares. The plowshare is the the main cutting blade behind the plows. They're literally taking the blade of the sword, the blade that was used to destroy and to cut and to wound and instead to use it for something that will bring life and sustenance and strength. The, The things that mankind uses to destroy one another will be used to provide for one another. And take a look at this um, statue on the slide here. That statue is um, uh, in the garden, the main garden in the UN, United Nations headquarters. Uh, 
and it's the the picture of this verse. Someone's turned it into a, a statue. Uh, uh, someone beating a sword into a plowshare. Fascinating thing about that statue. The ironic thing about that statue is that the country that gave that statue to the United Nations is Russia. Isn't that profound? Russia gave that statue to the United Nations. And so it's relevant because what it shows us is that that in the heart of every nation, they want this. We don't want to be spending our resources on weapons of war. Really, deep down, nobody wants it. We do it out of fear. We do it out of pride. We do it out of ambition. We do it all for all sorts of reasons. But the billions being used, trillions being used across the globe for weapons of war, it says one day, it says, they will no longer want to learn war. Instead, they'll want to learn God's ways. They'll turn their plows, their swords into plowshares. Peace won't come by human achievement, but it will come because people will finally choose to hear God and follow his ways. War is not inevitable. It is not endless. There is an end to war, which is why Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. So I hope you're carrying hope in a time of war. Because the one who carries the most hope carries the most influence. And I believe the people of God, as the people of God, we are meant to carry hope in a time of war. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, then I'd urge you, this is the time to cry out to him, to give yourself to him and to join us in the, in the silent revolution that's going on around the globe as people align themselves with God's ways and his purposes. So how do you carry hope in a time of war? Get a vision of the end. Get God's vision of the end. Secondly, know who, come, know who comes out on top. Realize that God's kingdom will impact every nation. Understand that God puts his blessing on those who are desperate for him. Believe that one day people in every nation will want to hear and obey God. And lastly, have confidence that one day people will voluntarily put down their weapons and make peace. And I pray that you guys, as you watch this, will be those who are carriers of hope. I pray that you would take a moment as you come to an end of this message to think what do I need to do as a result of hearing this I hope it's encouraged you to pray with faith to expect with faith I hope it's encouraged you to share hope with those around you who may have no hope I hope it's encouraged you to know that you can have confidence and carry hope in a time of war Jesus we just I just pray for everyone watching this message I pray for those who are gripped with fear I pray for those who want to make a difference but not sure how I pray that you would put hope in our hearts such hope that will overflow to the world around us and it will cause them to come to us and ask us where do you get this hope that you carry so strongly just pray that for everyone listening in jesus name amen god bless you thanks so much for uh, being with us online today thank you